pride is weakened in our hearts by offering unfair forgiveness, unfair generosity, unfair patience, and unfair compassion. Pride is weakened in our hearts by offering unfair forgiveness, unfair generosity, unfair patience, and unfair compassion. And we are in week number four of this series, and uh, we're going to be looking at this idea that love is not proud. So we're basically taking apart 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, a little section at a time. And today we're talking about this idea that love is not, it is not proud. It is not, it's not proud. In starting this series, we have discovered that... Um, a lot of people have questions, and it's good, especially when you really take something on that is so countercultural. You're beginning to create a new vein of thinking, a new way of thinking about something that does not line up with how the world views it. So inevitably, it's going to spur tons of questions. And so we have, on the podcast, we've started answering the questions that have been coming to us. Uh, this last week, so each of the questions, they're based on the previous week's sermon, so last week's sermon, the questions that we got from it, we recorded the questions, answers to them on Tuesday, and we kind of honed it down to three primary questions, and they are as follows. So on the podcast, from this last week, we're answering these three questions. Pastor Mike, how do we align our feelings with God? Like, let's say that you're in the journey of trying to bring harmony in your home, at your workplace, in a friendship, and there's just dissonance. No matter how hard you try, you cannot seem to get on the same path together, and it emotionally is driving you crazy. What do you do with the emotions? We talk about that. The second question that we addressed together on the podcast is, how do you manage harmony? This kind of goes along with the first one. How do you manage harmony in really hard situations? What if you're in a marriage? Right, and you're the only one trying to make it work. Year after year after year after year. What if you're at a job? And it's a tough place to be. How do you navigate trying to bring harmony in those situations? Then the very last question actually was kind of fun. Uh, we quoted a C.S. Lewis thing talking about competition and how it correlates with pride. And so a bunch of people from a, m numerous locations just asked the question almost in jest. So is competition bad? That was really fun to answer. And so uh, I, I won't give you any hints. I won't give you any hints. But definitely check it out. Is competition bad? Is competition bad? All right, we're on this journey. We're unpacking this idea of love. Quick review from the last few weeks, because this whole series, each idea builds off of the previous one, okay? So the first idea is this. If God is love, and the greatest in an exhaustive list of virtues, so love, God is love, and love is the greatest in an exhaustive list of virtues, we better know what love actually means. It's from week one. We talked about this a little bit week one and even more in week two. The definition of love has spiritual warfare all over it. The enemy has continually tried to go to war against what love actually, actually means. 
In fact, the way to say it would be, there is nothing Satan would like more than for you to interpret love in a way that isn't actually the love of God. And then last week, we really unpacked this. The Bible teaches that life harmony, shalom, completeness, comes from the love of God as displayed in the Trinity. The Trinity, Father, Son, and the Spirit, is the composer and conductor of what love is and looks like, not us. So the, the really simple way to say it is, you are not the center of your world. For you to have a harmonious life within the greater theology of the Bible, it is a displacement of you, in a sense, and a placement of the will, nature, heart of God in the heart of you. And then the you that is harmonious and really truly can last for forever is you following Christ as your core, not your heart, your desires, you be you is not the core of you in Christian doctrine. Our text that we're using for the whole series is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, and it says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, and it does not boast. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, right? And then the crescendo, love never, love never fails, love never fails. Today we're going to be looking at this idea that love is not proud. 1 Corinthians 13, 4b, love is not proud. We're going to spend all morning looking at one word in the Bible, proud or pride. All right, with this in mind, I uh, went to the primary source of truth for most humans on the planet today, Google. And I Googled pride just out of curiosity, right? So Google pride, what is pride? And it was super interesting what pops up, right? So everything that popped up followed a definition. So this is the definition that was offered by Google, right? So now think about this. Where do most people go to get their information? Google. So this is the first definition that pops up on Google. So if anybody's trying to figure out what is pride, here's where they're going to go. Here's the first thing that they will see. Quoted from Google. A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. I got it. I made it happen. The achievements of those whom one is closely or associated to. We got it. We made it happen. It is also a form of qualities or possessions that you have that are widely admired by other people. Look at me. Think about like social media influencer. How many likes do I get? Don't you wish you had my life? Hashtag blessed life. Pride. If you continue to scroll through it, I didn't click on the links, but I did the, the, the actual search and then I was scrolling through it. Every link, I mean every link for the first couple of pages was tied into 
You embodying your desire for power, you embodying your desire for sex, you embodying your desire for revenge, you embodying your desire to demand restitution for people that have hurt you. Every link was tied into that idea. In fact, many of the links that even followed some of those were about tools that you can find to help you get what you want. Tactics to be the primary voice, to win out over others, right? It even gave tactics on how to silence people that get in your way. Cancel culture. Now, the crazy thing in all this is the way it's worded in all of these statements, if you scroll through it, it's all seen as positive, So the wording around it, the context of it is not a negative one, it's a positive one. You be you. You make what you want happen and you silence all the voices around you that are getting in your way. That's what it means to live a proud, a proud life. Be proud of your pride is the primary theme in the West. Be proud of your pride is the primary theme in the West. So let's pause for a moment. Let's ask the question, what is pride according to the Bible? What is pride according to the Bible and Christian history? So not just the Bible, the Bible and Christian history, what is pride? All right, you ready for this? Lord, even now, I know it's first hour, caffeine's still kicking in. Enlighten our minds in your name, Jesus. Pride is an ancient, powerful enemy. It predates humanity, and its power expands far beyond humanity. We didn't make it. We are poisoned by it, right? We are first made aware of it in the story of Lucifer's fall. It is insidious. Now, now don't miss this next part. Are you ready? It has caused even angels who knew God intimately to fall. You can know God intimately and pride can poison you slowly. If you're not careful. Pride can be found stirring a dangerous work in the power and the powerful who want more, but it's also found in the powerless who want revenge. Pride is in the arrogant who think they are amazing, and it's also in the shy who think they are nothing. It can be found in the arrogant religious as well as the demeaning atheist. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It's very hard to see it in yourself. And as it's killing you, the ability to comprehend its effect decreases.
It's prime embodiment in scripture. It is the Satan, Diablos. It is a synonym for oppose or obstruct or accuse. So the question is, what is this embodiment of it? In fact, maybe a way to think about it here for a second is um, like the Holy Spirit. So we talk about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If I was to sit down with you and I would go, describe for me the Holy Spirit. Well, it's kind of like a force, but it is personal. And it's kind of like everywhere, and it's a counselor, and it's, it's like hard to describe the Spirit. It's like a, like a fire, a power, or like how do you describe the Holy Spirit? Pride is like the Spirit of the Antichrist. It's the anti-Holy Spirit. It's the aura, right, of the Antichrist, the opposite. It is the opposer, the obstructor, the accuser. In fact, uh, how many here have seen uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder? I don't know if seen the movie. In the movie, The Voyage of the Dawn Shredder, the green smoke, like the evil that everybody's having a hard time articulating exactly what it is, that's like pride! So what is pride trying to obstruct? What is it accusing? What is it tearing apart? Pride's prime work in Christian history is to destroy the harmony in God's family and creation. It's the poison. It's the poison. The New Testament has developed a doctrine of Satan pretty expansively, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but I do have a lot of it in my notes. If you want to download them, you can look at it there. Pride is the utmost evil and teaches the heart to justify other sinful actions. C.S. Lewis says it like this. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Lewis goes on, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. You will justify it. And the more proud you are, the more you justify it. Lewis continues, it is the complete anti-God state of mind is pride. In fact, uh, again, trying to describe the mist, you know, the green mist, to use that metaphor, uh, I actually wrote, so, so bear with me, I wrote uh, uh, like a 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, but I wrote it like an inversion of that text. And I want to read this to you. So what love is, the opposite of it, what pride is, right? So you ready for this? Let's see if I can get this to you. Here we go. Pride is not patient. Pride consumes. It is driven by envy and it loves to boast. It is always thinking about itself. It uses others up. 
It only participates as long as it's beneficial to itself. It is really easily made angry. It loves to recall when it has been offended. It can rejoice in evil by justifying away its harm on others as necessary, necessary evil. Pride protects self. It trusts most in its own perspective. It is insatiably pessimistic. Pride will quit as soon as it feels like it's not worth it. And in the end, pride will fail the person who decided to trust in it. First Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. The twisted version. Now, compare that with the actual text. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm going to invite Josh up, and we're going to be done in a few minutes as I try to pull this together. A theology to remember. This is from last week again. The sad story of the fall of humanity is one of perfect harmony into dissonance. The first lie of the deceiver in the biblical narrative is basically trust yourself and your own interpretation over God. Be your own life conductor. Displace God and take pride in yourself, dear Eve. There in the garden, something really interesting was happening. I mean, as funny as it is, the, the, the fruit and the serpent, the core metaphor is, is really quite simple. Who will be the compass for your life? What will be the compass for your heart? I mean, there is a deluge in your schools, in your classroom, on TV, in the media, in movies, and the whole World is awash with the very first lie that says, you be you. 
And that's where you'll find your most fulfilled life. This is crazy. I get this is really countercultural. The way the scripture talks about it is we, the mechanism of human, Adam, man, we are made to run on the love of God like a car is made to run on gasoline. And if you take a car and you pour water into the gas tank or anything else into it, right, that, that it's not designed for, it will run not as well or even break it. And so the truth is, for you to be the fullest version of you, to run to the fullest, to experience life to the full, for forever means that you have to fill yourself with what you're made to run on. You were made for an Eden, right harmony with God. You are created to run on the love of God. And when you dump pride into your tank, and you use it to justify countless other vices, in the end it breaks you. So the irony of this is, for you to be you to the fullest, you cannot be the center of your story. What is sex to the fullest? What is wealth to the fullest? What is leadership to the fullest? It's not everything serving you and your appetites. The biblical narrative says it's the love of God. All right, so the question is this, and it's insidious, and it's in all of us, I promise. There's nobody in this room that is innocent of pride. And if you think you're innocent of pride, that's a good tool view that it might be in you. I am so not proud. Look at my huge humility, everybody. How do you combat ancient enemies how do you combat pride how do you combat pride how do you combat it ancient enemies call for highly effective ancient weapons all right so i'm going to take you through a little bit of church history really fast okay if you go through which this is a lot of my education if you go through and you read through history and you read like Evagrius or St Benedict or Teresa of Avila you go through and you read all these people they all have similar frameworks for fighting pride the heart how do we protect our heart and keep it close to God so I'm going to take you through a very ancient battle plan to protect your heart The first one I, I know some of these words you're probably not used to but bear with me the first one is asceticism. Anybody ever heard of asceticism? Asceticism, if you are good. The easiest way, the simplest way to define it, I think I landed on was this. Asceticism is we make space to hear from God. You make space to hear from God. You cannot fight pride without first saying no to a life that is too busy to be before God. 
Asceticism is basically, now there's a whole lot of complex ways this can be played out. If you read through the saints that have gone before us, they've done it in different ways at different times for their spots in history. But at the very core of it, asceticism is you look at the busyness and the craziness of this world. I've got to be gone. I can't do this. And I've got to make, you look at all the busyness of the world and you go, no! No. I will make the time to be in places where I am close to God. If Satan can't steal your heart, he'll steal your time until your heart grows cold. Asceticism is basically no. No, I will make time to lean into God. For some of you today, the most powerful thing you could do is a really healthy, really healthy no to the busyness of this world. The second thing, asceticism, first one, the second thing is confession. Confession is speaking truth, and, and I try again to simplify this as much as possible. Confession is speaking truth about the disharmony in our hearts to God and to other believers. See, confession is the opposite of ignoring the disharmony of your heart. Confession is honestly taking on the disharmony you feel. So if it's like, man, I don't feel right about or I'm struggling with or I battle with or a temptation to do or I'm not sure if I should do, right? All the stuff that's inside of us that's complex. Confession is honesty to God and it's honesty with other believers about it and letting God and other believers speak back into you. Confession is honesty. Another thing that many of you really need to do is you need to be honest. Say no to the busyness. You have the time to be honest before God and honest before other believers about what you believe or about what you're struggling with. What's going on in your heart? The disharmony. The third thing that, I, that we see all through history is prayer. All right, now, prayer. This is literally abiding with God. It manifests in quiet time alone and in community with other believers. Listen, hear me clearly. If you do not know how to pray today on your next steps card, if you're online, email us, fill it out. I think there's a link there you can click on too. Listen, get a hold of us. We will spend time. We will help you learn to pray well. I mean, I don't know. Is Kathy, where's Kathy? I saw Kathy earlier. Maybe she's out there. I will personally have Kathy meet with you. I just put, made Kathy's life really busy. That woman can pray in a way that rattles the gates of hell. It's not just her. She can't meet with all of you. It's got to be others too. But like, let us help you if you don't feel like you know how to pray. Let us help you learn to do this. It is an ancient, powerful tool. In fact, I love with, with prayer in particular, whoa, my time. I love with, with prayer in particular. Foster says, Richard Foster, the redemptive process is a great mystery hidden in the heart of God. 
But I know, talking about prayer and confession, I know that it is true, and I know this is not only because the Bible says it is true, but because I have seen its effect in the lives of many people, including myself. It is the ground, it is a mystery, it's a mystery, it's power, confession and prayer. It is the ground upon which we can know that confession and forgiveness are realities that they transform us, prayer and confession. Without the cross, the disciple, the discipline of confession and prayer would be only psychological therapeutic, but it is so much more there is a mystery in this. Confession and prayer. Ask us how if you don't know. And then the last one I would say, ancient weapons, is love. As we've been defining it, not as the world defines it. The way I've taught it to my children and the way I've taught it to you over the years is love is doing good unto others independent of their ability to reciprocate. I'm going to do good to you independent of whether you could do something good for me back. Good is defined by the work of Christ. Pride is weakened in our hearts by offering unfair forgiveness, unfair generosity, unfair patience, and unfair compassion. Pride is weakened in our hearts by offering unfair forgiveness, unfair generosity, unfair patience, and unfair compassion. I get that this is complex. So questions for you just to think about. If you would, pull out your Next Steps card. Get your Next Steps card. Pull it out, pull it out, pull it out. Your Next Steps card. Pull them out, pull them out. I know, you're just sitting there looking at me. Coffee's kicking in. Did you fall asleep? Was it that boring? I don't, come on. Oh, move, move, move. Get those Next Steps cards out. All right, here's what I want you to think about. First of all, if you have a question or are confused, please ask. If you have a prayer request, please write it down, right? If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, write it down. If you need to be baptized, mark it on the card. But I want to ask also a couple of reflective questions, okay? Here we go. Kathy, I just made your life really busy. I'm sorry. She just walked in. What busyness, you don't have to answer all these questions, but maybe one of them will hit your heart. What busyness do you need to silence? Next question. What do you need to confess to God about your heart? And other believers. Maybe this next thing is where you're at. Will you prioritize abiding with God in personal and in communal prayer? Like, will you make being with God a priority? Or are you too busy? I mean, this right here, communal prayer. It's a family. All right, the last one is the one that's the hardest. It's the hardest, it's the hardest. To whom do you need to offer unfair 
to those that listen to this as a podcast, I'm pointing to the cross. To whom do you need to offer unfair forgiveness, unfair generosity, unfair patience, and unfair compassion? Lord, lead their hearts. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.